0: Hey, welcome back. Nice to have you here this week at Bible Study Fellowship. We are turning our attention to the prophets. We got ready for the prophets last week with a bit of an introduction that Vicki gave us. This week, we're going to be focusing on the book of Jonah. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your people, the prophets, to call the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, and by extension, us, to think about the two returns, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and also the return that we as people need to make to you. Help us to hear Jonah's words spoken to a nation and a people who are long gone, and help us to rightly apply them to our lives today. Amen. Great to have you here this week. Again, we're looking at Jonah. And before we think about Jonah and get into uh, Jonah chapter one, we're going to cover the whole book tonight. My, my question that I want to ask you guys is, have you ever been out hiking? When you're hiking, you're out in the woods. Many times you're following a trail. And depending upon the trail that you're on, you can find yourselves in different situations. Sometimes the trail is well-marked, uh, well-maintained, easy to follow. You can really clearly see it on the ground. Maybe they've cleared the leaves or the they they've made it into like a, a you know a, a well cleared dirt and gravel trail and you know super easy no problem you can go as fast as you want to don't need to think about it at all the trees are marked with diamond blazes of an appropriate color when you come to an intersection it's obvious the way that you need to go and you can just hike have a great time very little effort very easy to get where you're going to. Sometimes uh the trail might seem clear to follow, but you come to an intersection and there's a lot of them. You're not really sure which way to go. How do I know if this is just a social trail, you know, one that went around a tree at some point and the tree's been cleared, uh is this a trail that goes a different way? How do I know if I'm supposed to stay on the right path. Should I turn left? Should I turn right? Should I go straight? What am I supposed to do at this intersection? Uh, not quite as clear. I can see the trail, but I don't know what way to go on it. And other times you might be in a place in, in uh, your hike when there is no trail. You're in a forest and or a field or a meadow, and you just know that I need to go north. Uh, There isn't any trail to follow. There's no evidence that anybody has ever walked this direction before. And it sometimes feels in those situations, it's really easy to get lost because you feel like, well, I'm lost right now. But I think that life, as we go through our lives, as we try to navigate through life, uh, it it can mirror our experience hiking to some extent. And we can very quickly move into those situations where we feel very confident, and we're on the path, and we know where we're going, and we know what we're doing, and suddenly we're in the middle of a forest, we're in the middle of a meadow, and we have no idea what the right direction is. It's not clear what way to go. And uh, sometimes when you're hiking, even when the trail is maybe well-marked, you may end up in some place that you didn't intend to go. And many times in life, uh, it can feel that way, that we can very easily find ourselves in some place or some situation that we don't desire to be in. One of the challenges that we have as we're seeking to follow God, if you're a follower of God and you're trying to follow him, uh, we we know, and, and this has been borne out in some of the catechisms that we have, you know, what is the chief end of man? Well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do we get there? How do we do that? What does it look like? You know, We kind of like the idea as hikers or as travelers of start here, turn left here, follow that trail for 25 miles, and then you're going to get to the place where God is. Uh, And that isn't exactly what the Christian life is like. It isn't necessarily a destination that we're driving towards or hiking towards, but it is a, a process of trying to follow and remain in the person of God himself. Uh, last week, Vicki reminded us that uh, in order for our lives, in order to experience the abundant life, we have to run. We, have, we run best when we're filled with God. And if we're running, if we're, if the idea is, is that we're on a journey, we're in a process of living the li- our lives as followers of God, how can we evaluate not only what are we running on, but what are we heading towards? How do we get Back on the path? Have we gotten off the path? Uh, how can we evaluate our progress and know that we are seeking to run on and remain in God as we go through our journey in this world? One of the books that can help us do this, one of the collections of books that can help us do this is to look at the, the prophets, the books of the prophets. If we think about what the the role is of a prophet, a prophet was someone who was given specific direction from God to offer a message or guidance or information or correction to God's people, and so many times the prophets are encouraging people to return to God. Uh, prophets can also be reminding people of the day of the Lord that is coming—the day, potentially, of Jesus's first advent, which would have been future to Jonah and many of the old and all the Old Testament prophets. But they could also be looking even more forward. Uh, to, to what we would think of as Jesus' second return, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's judgment. Uh, and so the prophets are giving us these two returns, a uh, return to God and a reminder that God's return as king and judge is coming. And so these are good books for life because we often don't know what to do when we get off the path. And probably the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah didn't know what to do when they got off the path. They might not even know that they were off the path. But when we need that reminder to come back, that call to come back, the prophets are the people in the Old Testament who were doing this. In the New Testament, it was Jesus, it was the disciples, it was the apostles, uh, it was the church, but in the Old Testament, the people that were calling uh, the the nation of Israel back to a right relationship with God was going to be the prophets, and we're going to hear from them, and we're going to be able to listen to their words, hear their words, and uh, hopefully learn that uh, God desires his people to repent and to return to him. God desires his people to repent and to return to him. We're going to look at Jonah in two parts tonight. We're going to look at chapters one and two, uh, and then we're also going to look at chapters three and four. It's a very short book, but it is a masterful book, and so please, please, please do not think that my brief conversation with you tonight is going to fully fulfill everything that there is to know about Jonah. It's a marvelous book. Uh, it's a literary masterpiece. And and so there's a lot in here. Uh, people have spent and will spend their entire lives and careers studying the book of Jonah, and there is always more to learn. So please consider this uh, merely uh, a scratch the surface of the book of Jonah. But let's take a look at uh, Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. Uh, we're told that he's the son of Amitai. I'm probably saying that wrong but uh we have one other reference to Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14 where we're reminded that during the reign of Jeroboam the 2nd the second Jeroboam who ruled the northern kingdom of Israel Jonah was a, an active prophet to the nation of Israel to the to the kingdom of Israel when we see Jonah here, uh, we are not going to see Jonah called to speak to Jeroboam too, or to the people uh, in the land of Israel. Instead, Jonah's mission is to go elsewhere. He's directed to a foreign city, the city of Nineveh, which would have been uh, capital city or chief city uh, of, of the Assyrian kingdom. And we don't know much about the Assyrians yet. They've been mentioned in 1st, in, uh, 2nd Kings so far, but they're going to play a much greater role as the second Kings begins to unfold. Uh, And the Lord says to Jonah in verse two, he tells Jonah to arise. He tells him to go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And we're going to see what Jonah did. Jonah did not uh, follow God's directions to arise. Instead, we're going to continue to see Jonah go down. Verse three, he goes down to Joppa, Depending upon your translation, he goes down into the ship. Later on, he's said to have, to have gone down into the inner part of the ship. Uh, that's in verse 5. And again, in verse 5, it's told to us that he lays down and goes to sleep. We have this contrast, this parallelism that's set up with us between arising and going down. And Jonah is continually traveling on the pathway down. If we look at the ultimate uh, destination that Jonah is heading towards, we were told that his motivation is to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's going down. He is going down to get away from the presence of the Lord. And ultimately, Jonah is on a road that will lead to uh, his destruction and, and potentially death and maybe not just physical death. But we we have an, uh, a person who intervenes in Jonah's life, the captain of this ship, Comes to Jonah, wakes him up, and says, Hey, we have a major storm going on here. Uh, What do you mean, you sleeper? And there's a call for Jonah to arise from the captain, the pagan captain. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so Jonah's decision to go down, he's fleeing from the Lord. It is ultimately going to lead to potentially his physical death, maybe his spiritual destruction, but we have an intervention by the captain reminding Jonah that he needs to arise. Now it's interesting uh, as we as we begin to look at um, what Jonah does from this point forward we're expecting maybe Jonah's going to go up on the deck of the boat, lead the lead the group in a great prayer uh, and God will ultimately deliver the people but that's not what happens. Uh, They cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah, and uh, eventually, uh, reluctantly, and with prayer to the true God, the sailors do throw Jonah overboard. Uh, It's interesting, as Jonah is thrown overboard, the storm subsides, the storm calms, and the sailors have uh, a moment where they realize, wow, this God that Jonah is following, he is the real deal, verse 16 the men feared the Lord, the sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, we begin to wonder, you know, how far down is Jonah going to have to go uh, in order to become aligned with God? You know, if we look at the other people in this chapter that we've met so far, people who are aligned with God or, or things that are aligned with God, the wind and the waves the lots that were cast that selected Jonah, the sailors, the great fish. They, they understood and saw the power and sovereignty of God, and they ultimately came back onto the path. They adjusted their course. They realized that the, the, the way that they were leading their lives, the gods that they were worshiping were ineffective and powerless, and they came back they changed their priorities, uh, and they began to fear and seek the Lord. Uh, all of nature is aligned. You know the idea of casting of lots. You know we think of the sticks that they would have been using to do that. Even even though even when the lot fell to Jonah as an indication that Jonah was the one who would cause the storm, the person who is not aligned with the Lord is the prophet himself, Jonah himself. And so the Lord's not done with Jonah yet. Uh, we're going to see that uh, verse seventeen the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights, as we look in chapter two at jonah's prayer, and again we don't know exactly when uh in the prayer uh, in the days in the fish that this prayer was prayed, uh, but we see that Jonah realizes that he is in the he is in the deep. Uh, verse three, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Uh, the flood surrounded me, your waves and your billows passed over me. Uh, and, and Jonah is sort of hitting rock bottom uh, during this time that he's in the fish. Uh, regardless though, uh, Jonah is realizing that the Lord is the one who is protecting him. Uh, the Lord is the one who has appointed all these events to happen. Uh, and Jonah begins to hope in the Lord, verse four, yet I will look again upon your holy temple. And um, yet you brought me up from the pit, verse six. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And so Jonah realizes that it is God who can help him to arise and to get back on the path that God established for him. Jonah makes a wonderful conclusion as we go into verses eight and nine. Uh, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. At this point in the narrative, it's an interesting parallel that has been set up between Jonah and the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel has been characterized to this point by the pursuit of vain idols. They have forsaken the steadfast love of God. And these events have brought Jonah to a point of of returning to the Lord, uh, but 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 we have not yet seen the nation of Israel take that same pathway. Uh, we see that God is still sovereign over the fish, uh, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and Jonah is vomited out upon to dry land. The principle for this first section is that God offers salvation and restoration to those who return to him. In some sports, most notably hockey, If you violate the rules of the game, you have to go and sit in the penalty box. There's a sense in hockey or in lacrosse that you have to pay with time for an infraction of the rules before you can return to the game. And I think that in some sense, we've taken this approach and we think that that's the way that God is going to treat us. Uh, We may have some awareness in our own lives of things that we have done that have been violation of the the laws or the way that God intends us to live. And we think that when we go back to God, that we are going to experience some type of punishment, some type of retribution from God for the way that we have violated him. Uh, But the Bible does call people to return to God, and the good news for us is, as those who have sinned, as those who have rejected God, is it God does not make you pay for the wrong that you have done. There, there's no penalty box, there's no retribution. Uh, this process that we have, there might be some consequences, right? I'm sure Jonah had uh, a couple of rough days as he was vomited out of the fish and maybe he was disoriented or he smelled bad, I don't know. Jonah faced some earthly consequences, uh, but we have no indication that that God rebuked or punished or, or did something to Jonah uh, because of his disobedience once he had repented, once he had come back. Um, this process of turning to God away from our activities, the Bible refers to that as this idea of repentance. You're turning away from sin and you're turning back towards God. For Jonah specifically, this meant that he was going to stop fleeing from the Lord. He was going to stop going down and he was going to start doing the things that God had asked him to do, namely arise, go to the city of Nineveh. Perhaps you can think of something in your, your life, I know I can think of things in mine, uh, that you and I have done in direct disobedience to God. Uh, God gave Jonah some very clear directions, and Jonah completely disobeyed. He knew that what he was doing is wrong, and he did it anyway. And perhaps you have some things in your life that you can say, uh, times when God has made it clear that you were supposed to uh, exhibit honesty, tell the truth, uh, that you were supposed to set aside some of your pride, uh, elevate a coworker. Uh, Perhaps you were supposed to walk away or walk towards a relationship, and you have basically said no, and you have decided that flight And going down was the pathway that you wanted to take. As you and I think about some of those events, know that um, we have the opportunity to repent. And what would repentance look like for you or for me? We saw what it looked like for Jonah. For Jonah, it was an honest prayer, an earnest prayer in the belly of a fish. Uh, Hopefully for you and I, it won't involve such dire circumstances. You know, at any point of Jonah's descent, he could have chosen to return to the Lord and potentially not faced uh, some of the great uh, challenges and and difficulty that he went through. One of the things I like to think about, because the great thing about repentance is uh, a lot of times when you're through it and you've been restored to the Lord, uh, there's blessing that's there. Uh, We're going to see some of the blessing that comes to Jonah as a part of his repentance. But if you can think of potentially uh, what was the outcome of your last time of repentance with the Lord, what were some of the ways that you experienced blessing, peace, that notion of shalom, that sense of an abundant life uh, when you've gone back to the Lord and acknowledged your failures and your mistake and asked to return uh, to the right path. We're going to look at Jonah 3 and 4 now. We're going to see uh, Jonah's response uh, to, you know, to this challenges that he's faced in verses uh, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, Jonah is going to finally arise and go to Nineveh. Uh, the Lord comes to Jonah again, three chapter, uh, v- chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah begins to uh, follow the directions that God gives him, and he delivers God's message of judgment to the people of Nineveh. Here's what Jonah said uh, Nineveh was a great city, three days' journey in breadth. Uh, Jonah began to go into the city, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, Jonah's preaching is not necessarily remarkable. The thing that is remarkable in verse 5 the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so the remarkable thing about Jonah's message is that it was well received by the people in Nineveh, even the king himself. When the word reached the king, what did the king do? He arose from his throne, he issued a decree. He put himself in the sackcloth, he sat in ashes, he issued a proclamation, and he said, "Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent." And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Uh, The people of Nineveh were not familiar with the God of of Jonah, with the God of Israel. Uh, They didn't know uh, about God's character, about his nature, and they were hoping that perhaps by uh, seeking the Lord, by calling out to him, that God would relent. Uh, The good news for the Ninevites and the good news for people who need to call out to the Lord is that God did see. God did relent. Uh, and the question we might ask is, is how is it that God can allow evil ways, right? The people acknowledge that their ways were evil. How is it possible that God is going to allow the evil ways of the people of Nineveh to go out, to go unpunished? Uh, how is how is a just God going to allow this to occur? Uh, the reminder for us is that God's wrath, his wrath towards sin, his anger towards sin, his anger towards people that have sinned Was poured out on Jesus. Now, the events of Jonah happened before the cross of Christ did, uh, but God was looking forward to the time when Jesus would receive and drink uh, the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. Uh, you and I have the same benefit that God's wrath has been poured out on Christ, but we look back on that event. We look back uh, to what Jesus accomplished on the cross in Israel roughly 2,000 years ago, and we're going to be celebrating Jesus' first advent here in a few weeks. The people of Nineveh didn't know about God, but Jonah did. Jonah knew about the God of Israel. He knew about the character of God. He studied the scripture, the scriptures, uh, and and you know Jonah's weak sauce preaching was ultimately used by God to bring about repentance in the people of Nineveh. Now, if we look at this from purely a numbers standpoint, uh, Jonah had probably one of the most successful ministries in the Old Testament. Many of the other prophets that we're going to look at, their their job was to go and to preach. And to call upon the Lord for years and years and years and, and 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 you know we think about Elijah, we think about Elisha, a lot of their messages were rejected by the normal people of the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah. Uh, they probably didn't have a lot of converts. They probably didn't have a lot of success. And look at Jonah, we know this from chapter four. Uh, hundred twenty thousand people lived in the city of Nineveh and also many cattle. Uh, and these people, returned or turned to the first time to the Lord. Uh, this was a fabulously successful uh, 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 repentance. This is a fabulously successful ministry. God was in it. These kinds of things don't happen unless God is working. And, and we would have to say, like, if, if you and I were in Jonah's place and we'd have this experience, you know, the the great fish and the prayer and being vomited on the shore, find the obedience, going to Nineveh and seeing God work, seeing God elevated and respected and people desiring to live in a way that was honoring to God, you feel like there should be a high point in Jonah's ministry. You feel like there should be a point when Jonah looked back upon him and was like, remember that time when God did that amazing thing in Nineveh, that was awesome. That was amazing. It was amazing to be used by God in such a powerful way. But look at chapter four, verse one. This is where Jonah's heart is. Uh, It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, "O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste for Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Lord, take my life it is better for me to die. Jonah is unhappy that God's mercy resulted in the life of the city of Nineveh. Jonah would have rather had disaster befall the Assyrians. He would have rather had the city wiped out than to have had the opportunity to be an agent of repentance and restoration in the life of the people. Friends, this is not a good place for a prophet or anybody who's a follower of Christ to be. We can see that uh, the Lord is still working with Jonah. Uh, the most remarkable thing about the story, yes, is it remarkable that God wanted to save and redeem and restore the 120,000? Absolutely, it is amazing. Uh, The thing that I think is more amazing is the lengths that God goes through to change Jonah's heart. Uh, We don't necessarily see the conclusion of it in the story, but if you think about all the effort and all the time that God spent to try and bring Jonah to be in alignment with himself, Jonah, I want you back on the path. And so God begins to interact with Jonah. Uh, He asks Jonah a rhetorical question, you know, do you do well to be angry? He goes about and he has this enacted parable of the vine that offered shade, uh, the destruction of the vine with the worm, the scorching wind, uh, and ultimately, even after all this, where where God is trying to help Jonah understand this from a different perspective, uh, Jonah ends up mourning the death of the vine and he also mourns the salvation of the city of Nineveh. God tries to bring Jonah around. Uh, He reminds Jonah that, you know, I should have, as the God of the universe, I have pity for the great city of Nineveh. Jonah, you should be aligned with me. You should be aligned with me. Uh, the story ends, we don't know the complete resolution, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Is Nineveh going to go forward and continue to be a righteous city? Is Jonah going to come back to the Lord? You know, what happened to the worm? We, we don't know. The story ends suddenly, uh, and that's okay. Uh, it, it leaves us with a sense of a cliffhanger, and we can think about uh, what might have happened from there, but I think a principle that we can gather from these two chapters is that apart from God, there is no joy apart from God, there is no joy. Jonah has no joy in Chapter Four because he is not aligned with God's priorities. He is not aligned with with the compassion and the care that God has for his people. Jonah is just he's off kilter. He has a different set of priorities that he's operating under, and so as a result, there's no joy, there's no happiness, there's no contentment in what God has done. Uh, if you've ever gone on a diet, uh, there's always an, an, an invariable sense of loss. Uh, you, you're, you're choosing the side salad rather than the waffle fries at Chick-fil-A, or you're getting the single patty burger from Wendy's rather than the double or triple. You're having smaller portions and you're setting aside maybe food that you really like and that's really delicious to eat food that is better for you. Uh, and so there's this sense of, of dieting being the long con. You know, it, it, it's giving up good things. It's giving up delicious things today for the benefit in the future, and maybe it's a distant future, that hey, I might lose some weight. Hey, I'll, I'll be healthier. And unfortunately, I, I think that we look at following God as a little bit like dieting. It feels like what Jonah was doing. You know, there's a really good way for me to live my life, there's a delicious way for me to live my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to spend my time however I want to. I'm going to engage in sexual activity any way that I want to. I'm going to spend my money any way that I want to. Everything is about me. And there's a really good way for me to live my life. And you know what? If I was living my life that way, I'd be happy. I'd be happy living my life that way. But instead, we think, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to to give things up. I'm going to give up the really good and happy and delicious things in my life. And, and at some point in the future, maybe when I'm dead, then it'll be good. And it's, we think of it as, you know, th- that's how we think of it. And friends, what I want you to know is that that is not true. Uh, the, the, the way that we would choose to live our lives apart from God is not happy and delicious. Uh, there's not going to be joy and fulfillment and contentment and peace We are not going to experience the shalom that's talked about in the Old Testament. We're not going to experience the abundant life that's talked about in the New Testament apart from God. And the abundant life that we're going to experience today by following God is is a foretaste of the even better abundant life that we will experience when God's kingdom is made true. And Jonah didn't get it. Jonah thought he was on a diet. Jonah thought that there was a better way, a a, a more pleasant way that God should operate. Uh, And Jonah felt like he was giving up and sacrificing because of his following, because he was following the Lord. And I think for you and I, it's a good question for us to ask, because I'm going to tell you, friends, that sometimes for me, I feel like following the Lord feels like a diet, it feels like there's things that I really want to do that I'm not going to do because I'm following the Lord. Uh, and and that is not true. Uh, really, the reality is, is that following, the, following God is a feast. Following God is a way that we can experience the fullness of life in this world uh, because God is the one that we are supposed to run on. Uh, God is the one that we are supposed to drive our lives uh, towards. Perhaps there's a really good thing that you feel like you're giving up in your life. What might that be? And, And the flip side is, is what is the truly good thing that you have received as a result of following God, as a result of following Jesus? Uh, one of the 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 analogy we've been thinking about throughout this is this notion of trying to stay on the path as we follow God, uh, and and it's, friends, it's really easy for you and I to end up off the path. The great news is is that through His Word, through His Holy Spirit, um, we are called by God back to the path. Uh, he will help us navigate back if we're willing to repent, turn away from our sin turn towards the Lord, uh, and ask him to help us to get back on the path. The prophets, uh, Jesus, the Bible, the Holy Spirit are are calling us to return to God. The question is, are we going to listen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you that um, you pursue your people so aggressively. Lord, um, your pursuit of Jonah is amazing. Uh, your pursuit of the nation of Israel was amazing. And Lord, the desire that you have for all people to know the truth about you, the truth about sin, the truth about Christ, and the truth about our response is truly humbling. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, that we wouldn't be stiff necked and stubborn people, and that you would help us to find the way back to you as we listen, to hear your voice as you call us back to the path. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.